You are listening to the Vita Foods Insights podcast. Join us as we explore the key issues and emerging trends affecting the global health and nutrition industry, helping businesses make informed decisions and drive change. Hello and welcome to the Vita Foods Insights podcast. I'm Charlotte Bastianza, joined today by Tommy Hayes, who is an analyst at Lux Research. Thanks for joining me today, Tommy. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Charlotte, for having me. Uh, we're talking today on the topic of personalized nutrition and particularly how this market is positioned within the Asian region. Um, Tommy, how do you define personalized nutrition and what issues do you see it address? Sure. So, uh, Define personalized nutrition as you know, the sciences, the technologies, the products and services that ultimately deliver uh, individualized dietary recommendations uh, to consumers. Um, and there's different ways that you can slice and dice this. Um, we see the personalized nutrition uh, varying on two spectra. Uh, the first being uh, the type of data that's used um, to generate these personalized dietary recommendations. So that could be uh, factors around your physical activity and simple biometric measurements like your height and weight. Uh, and then as you get a little bit more uh, progressive and advanced, uh, certain biomarkers, especially uh, blood-based biomarkers like nutrient levels within your blood, um, and then your genetics, your hereditary makeup, and then lastly, um, on this spectra would be your gut microbiome. Uh, and then the other spectra is the frequency that these personalized dietary recommendations are being delivered to this user. Um, this could be fixed. So, you know, one-time tests and one-time, uh, one set of results uh, are, are being delivered to the user. It could also be on a repeat basis. So perhaps you send a new stool sample or blood sample in um, every three to six months, and then um, the recommendations are being refined at that interval. And then lastly is uh, continuous, where you have a nonstop stream of data being generated, analyzed, contextualized. Uh, so this is something that you typically see in a, in a wearable form factor. So that's kind of like how we, we view the personalized nutrition space overall. Um, in terms of issues, or perhaps another way, kind of the goals of personalized nutrition, I think, are optimization, prevention, and management. Um, so what I mean by that is, uh, if we think about health as a spectrum, um, ones that are kind of towards the healthier side, it's really about helping them optimize their health decisions um, at every point in time, um, especially when you think of kind of elite athletics and, and those who are already fit and want to be fitter. Um, and then prevention and management, it's really much more around for prevention. It's keeping those that are at risk of certain diseases like diabetes, keeping the disease at bay. And then for management, it's really helping, um, once again, diabetes is another a good example um, of helping better manage the disease and, and the symptoms of the disease. Great, Tommy, and I think personalized nutrition is really drawing a lot of global attention and we're seeing such interesting and innovative solutions similar to what you've mentioned. Um, as an expert on the APAC region, what do you see as Asia's understanding of personalized nutrition? Where do you see the market potential um, across this region and what are some of the key metrics to share? 
Yeah, so uh, I think, you know, Asia has definitely caught up um, quite a bit starting last year compared to uh, North America and EU. I mean, really the big, um, really the first big headline for personalized nutrition was Campbell's $32 million investment into the startup habit back in 2016. Um, since then, uh, I've seen you know, five major headlines coming from Asia around personalized nutrition, all coming from uh, last year. Um, and it's been uh, it's been driven more so by a lot of the large players, um, so like Nestle, DSM, uh, and some of those folks. And really, instead of actually kind of dumping money into these startups, forming more kind of pilot programs and partnerships. Um, four out of the five kind of major headlines I've seen have all been uh, using kind of that approach. Um, and I actually think that's the right approach. I think it's a, um, a more risk adverse um, but higher reward way of being able to test the validity um, of these different personalized nutrition, um, you know, testing technologies and solutions. In terms of the, the regions where it's going to make sense, um, it is, at least for right now, going to be the developed areas. Um, so that's why a lot of the headlines have come out of, you know, Japan, South Korea, uh, Australia, some of those areas. Um, and focusing a lot on more of the kind of disease uh, management and prevention side. Um, so I think that's where you're going to have a much more kind of compelling value proposition. Um, rather than kind of focusing on, on just kind of optimization and uh, helping give people that extra edge. It's really going to be around disease management and prevention. So, uh, I mean, the one program, or I guess one headline to elaborate on uh, is what Nestle is doing in Japan, um, where they have formed collaborations with testing service providers for blood-based biomarkers and genetics. Um, and essentially are, are offering kind of like a freemium model. Um, and uh, actually of all the kind of new personalized nutrition programs around the globe that I've seen, this is the, the largest one to date where it's been able to get a user base um, of 100,000 people. Um, so I think that's really exciting and, and helps kind of reaffirm that um, this is a better route to go rather than just pouring a lot of money into, into a startup. Great. And um, Tommy, when it comes to trends actually driving person, personalized nutrition, what are you seeing as those key drivers? And is, is there any difference that you actually notice across the European and the North American and the Asian region? You know, is it coming down to health specific issues? Is it disease? Is it income? Um, and I'd just really like to hear if you, if you notice that there's different needs um, from the different regions driving individual trends. Yeah, um, I mean, it's certainly a combinatorial equation. Um, it's not a, a, a single driving force. Um, I will say, though, and, and, you know, I alluded to this in the past, um, or mentioned this in the past, there's really three kind of main goals, optimization, prevention, and management. Uh, generally speaking, um, you know, I've seen a shift actually in what these companies are pursuing. Before, it was really just the optimization, really helping people give that extra edge that are already healthy. There has been a shift, in, and I think rightfully so, towards disease prevention and management. And, and that uh, certainly Asia is no um, exception to that. And especially within Asia, a lot of it is really in the context of healthy aging, 
I mean, we are, um, there's several countries, especially Japan, where it's a super aging demographic. So I think healthy aging, especially in Asia, uh, is kind of the, the driving force for, for personalized nutrition. Right, and you mentioned what Nestle is doing in Japan. Are there any other examples of personalized nutrition projects that you really see gaining traction? It's definitely the one um, that I have seen the most traction, um, actually seen data points. The other ones that I have seen announcements around are DSM's partnership with DNA Life Science, really focusing on genetic testing, um, Herbalife Nutrition out of South Korea, also doing genetic testing, um, BASF and Zerion focusing on uh, blood-based biomarker analysis in Australia. And then the last one is um, a little bit of an interesting one. It was Mitsui and Kirin, both large companies out of Japan, investing in a U.S.-based startup called Thorn, um, but with the goal of bringing that business over to Asia. Um, so those are the, the major headlines that I saw in 2018 for, for Asia, um, but it's really the Nestle one that has gotten the most traction. So we know that the interest in the understanding of personalized nutrition is certainly growing. Um, and businesses are going to be wanting to tap into the space. Um, but what are some of the key challenges that you think personalized nutrition companies face? And how do you see these being addressed? You know, is that company-specific challenges or should governments start getting involved? There are certainly challenges both on the technical front and the business front. Um, but at the end of the day, even if we are able to check all the boxes on the technical front, um, so you, if you have the most highly accurate way of measuring your physical activity, your nutrient levels in your blood, your genetics, your microbiome at any point in time, so if we're able to do that, um, if it's not accessible to uh, those who really need it um, and are actually going to bring about, um, uh, you know, the health outcome, then it doesn't matter. So that's why it really comes down to the business model. And right now, um, a lot of these personalized nutrition solutions are requiring consumers to take, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars out of their pocket, and without even really knowing is this actually going to have a, you know, a measurable health impact for me. Mm. So that's why I really think it's going to have to be a shift in business model and really creating kind of an ecosystem where you're having large companies, um, you know, sponsor these personalized nutrition programs as part of wellness programs. Uh, perhaps you're even having insurers get involved um, so that it's removing the cost off the consumer. Um, and you could even see government playing a role in that as well, where it's subsidizing these personalized nutrition programs. Um, so that's one thing I'm, I'm trying to keep, uh, you know, signals, trying to catalog is uh, kind of these signals that, that are showing a shift in business model. So I think that's going to be the big thing. So, I mean, as much as the nutraceutical industry is really excited about a personalized nutrition, do you actually see it going mainstream in the future? Because as you mentioned, you know, it's it will be a costly exercise. And um, as you mentioned as well, consumers, will they be able to actually measure the results? Yeah, so that's why um, I don't see it mainstream within the next five years. Um, I, I, I tend to think that of everything in terms of you know, one to two years, two to five years, five to ten, and then ten plus. Yeah. You know, if I had to put money on on when personalized nutrition could be on mainstream, it's going to be at least five years, because it's like I said, it's going to take 
quite a big shift in terms of business model, um, and that's easier said than done. Um, that requires a lot of different stakeholders coming together. So that's why I see it being more in the, the five plus year time frame. And in the future, what are some of the developments that you might see happening? Um, you know, are we going to be looking at customized meals um, or part and um, on the government scale, do you see a personalized nutrition businesses partnering with hospitals or healthcare facilities? Yeah, so in terms of actual ways you could really see this play out, you know, a bit of a perhaps kind of a, a simple way of thinking about it. Um, and I was actually talking to someone uh, recently about this idea uh, out of a university in, in Europe, but could be transferable anywhere, is for these large corporations um, that could be early adopters in, in implementing personalized nutrition solutions as part of a wellness program. Um, a lot of these large corporations have corporate cafeterias. These are places that people eat at you know, at least five times a week. Um, so is there a way that you could think about uh, personalizing the meals that people are consuming out of corporate cafeterias? Um, so that's just one idea in terms of, you know, starting the starting the movement and having this become personalized nutrition become part of an actual uh, routine for someone. In terms of government healthcare facilities, that's where it becomes certainly more complex. I do think that in terms of um, you know, kind of clinical nutrition and also, you know, meals that are delivered within hospitals. Um, that I see an evolution kind of building upon what you could imagine in a corporate cafeteria. Um, in terms of, uh, of what time frame that'll actually play out, I'm not totally sure, but, but certainly yeah. one possible scenario. Great, Tommy, you're joining us at Vita Foods Asia this year and you're speaking at the Personalized Nutrition Conference. In a nutshell, can you just share with us what you'll be covering during your session? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, certainly a lot of elements that I, that I went over today as well as some more. Mm. Um, it's really going to be looking at, once again, kind of what are those macro driving forces um, that are helping propel personalized nutrition? And, and with that, really kind of a shift from just purely optimization for, um, for personalized nutrition to disease management and prevention. Um, healthcare costs are becoming unsustainable, so we need to think about ways to help you know, alleviate that healthcare burden um, mm -hmm. through personalized nutrition. And then once again, really the, the business model aspect. Um, what's gonna be the business model that's gonna help unlock this and, and make it more accessible and mainstream? Amazing. Well, Tommy, thank you for joining us on this podcast today. I'm really looking forward to hearing you speak at Vita Foods Asia later this year. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Charlotte.